In a room like this, there'll be people who are in different places in faith with different experiences and different beliefs. Uh, One thing that I'm convinced of is that no matter where you are in faith in your mind, there's a part of you that longs to speak, uh, not just to other people, but to God, uh, to something or someone who's beyond you. That part of every one of us, I think, is put there by God. And the gift of prayer, and this is at the very heart of what, um, what I myself believe, and this will come out when I preach, is that this is a gift that God gives us in which he promises to listen whenever we speak, wherever we are. Uh, that when we let the words of our hearts, uh, th- when we let them emerge and go up, God hears. That's a promise. Uh, and then beside that, this is what we talked about last week, uh, there's this second promise, which is when we learn to be quiet and listen, God actually speaks to us. Uh, both of those I've offered in hopes of helping us grow. And that's my goal, that wherever we are, we would grow. This morning, what I want to do is to say very simply that sometimes it's really hard to pray because if you are in such a place in life uh, where the burdens are so great for you that either you're thinking, I don't want to talk to God because all I'm feeling is anger or you know, I'm not even sure he's there. This message is for you especially. Um, I'm confident that it's not just a message for a few of us, but all of us to acknowledge that sometimes life becomes so difficult that we might choose a route away from God and decide that if he's there, I don't want to talk to him. And based on what I'm living through, maybe he's not even there. Or if he is, he's not very good. Uh, Would anyone in here acknowledge having experienced days like that? Um, Yeah. Either you're there or you will be or someone that you're close to is. And so what I want to give to you this morning is uh, to help those of us who are there grow uh, where we are or to give you what you need to help somebody else. Uh, Because here, this is the two things I want to share. They're they're simple, and I'll put them up at at the very front. The first is that it's not an extraordinary thing, but an ordinary thing when a person of genuine faith gets to a time in life where it is hard to pray because God doesn't feel good. Can I say that in church? It's true. Um, Instead of feeling close, God will sometimes feel very far. Instead of feeling like he's for you, it'll feel like he's against you. Uh, Instead of feeling that God is kind, it may feel like he's cruel. And so the first lesson that I want to put before you this morning is that's not extraordinary, but every person of genuine faith gets to a place where it feels like that. That's the first lesson. The second lesson, which I want to add to it immediately, is that when you are in that place, the best thing for you is to pray. And so that's what I want to teach you this morning. How to pray when you don't want to because you're angry. How to pray when you feel like God must not even be there and listening. That is a lesson which is for all of us. And I know this from, listen, I know this from my own experience. I'm not just talking about something that I think others go through. I have in my own past years of bleak darkness and God by his grace delivered me and has given me something to share with you. And that's what I want to do this morning. When I first started out as a pastor, uh, very early on, I learned the importance of both of these lessons from a young man named Ron. Uh, I worked almost exclusively with high school students and college students in those early years. I was in Red Bank. Does anybody here know Red Bank? It's a good town, right? Ron 
came to the group that I was leading, and after the first night, he told me, I'm not a, a Christian, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, but I like this group, and I like being around you guys, can I keep coming? And I told him, of course you can. Uh, as the months went on, I watched Ron become a person whose disbelief faded, and who began to grow to the point that he said, I want to be a Christian. I believe. And it was beautiful to see. Uh, he became a new person. He began to work with the middle school students. And this guy became a very cheerful and joyful young man. It was awesome to watch. Have you ever seen that kind of change in a person? Uh, I saw that firsthand. Now, uh, in the spring, I began to notice that he wasn't as joyful as he had been. And I was happy on the day he reached out to me and said, Christian, I need to talk. I didn't know what was going on, but uh, I, I've, of course, was happy to meet with him. We walked down Broad Street in Red Bank. I could tell as soon as I saw him that he was carrying a heavy burden. You can tell sometimes, right? He said to me, Christian, I don't know how to say this, but I don't feel like God is close anymore. In fact, I feel like he's nowhere to be found. When I came to faith, it felt good, but I, I, I have a hard time telling you this, but it doesn't even feel like God is real anymore. Now, I didn't say anything right away. I just decided to walk and listen. And he began to unfold to me his own life story, which I hadn't heard. Uh, he explained, my father, when I was a boy, my father left us, and I've had nothing to do with my dad. In the morning, I get up early every day, and I have to take care of my little brother, because my mom is drunk every day. And when she's drunk, she's mean. I can't sleep. I feel anxious all the time. I don't know what to do. And God doesn't feel close. Now we walked and I let this sink in. And you know, already then as a young pastor, I knew that maybe in detail his story is different. But there are an awful lot of us who get to places like that in life where because of the things we're facing, it's hard to sleep. Anybody here know that? And then to add on to it, what Ron didn't say yet, but what I suspected is there's a part of all of these good promises about who God is that suddenly begin to ring hollow when life gets like this. I said to him, Ron, have you prayed about this? He, he didn't even want to look up at me. He said, you know, this is the hardest part. When I think about God, I don't want to talk to him because I'm angry at him and I'm disappointed and I'm frustrated and I know I shouldn't feel like that because of all the good things that God has done for me. I know I'm supposed to feel grateful, but I don't. And that's the worst part of it all, Christian. I don't know what to do. And you know, he had made a decision and his decision was to stop talking to God altogether and to try to hide his feelings away from God because he'd begun to believe that it would be completely unacceptable to God for a young person to feel like he was feeling. And so, of course, he felt really far away from God. Now, I had the delight of continuing to walk with him. And what I did as we walked is to do my very best to say to him the two things that I want to say to you. The first thing is that every person of genuine faith feels just like you're feeling at some point, Ron. And it's not 
something to run away from or to hide. It's not extraordinary. It's actually the truth about how things are. And that was the first thing I wanted to give to him. And I want to give that to you this morning. I want you to know that if you are one of those people because of what you've been going through, have been feeling, if God is there, he must not be good, and I must hide my feelings away because it's not okay to feel like that. I want you to know you're not alone, but you're in very, very good company if you feel like that. Either because dad left and you had to grow up without a dad, or because mom drinks too much and you can't change her, or because your brother struggles with an addiction and no matter how hard you try to help, you can't rescue him or because you personally are vexed with depression and anxiety, or because she wants the marriage to end and you're trying really hard to keep it going and you can't stop where she's going, or because your son's in the wrong path and you wish you could deliver him, but you can't. Whatever it is, the thing that you need to know first this morning, and if this is all you learn, it's good that you were here, it is that people of genuine faith also feel like this. Have you heard the names Abraham, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Gideon, or Samson? Yes? All of these are the heroes of faith. Every one of them, at one point or another, raises his voice in the Bible against God because of what life feels like. Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Jonah, Habakkuk, these are the prophets. They also find themselves facing the kind of life at one point or another where makes, which makes them come to God and say, why is it like this? How long will it remain like this? Why am I facing such challenges? Have, are you no good? You go to the book of Psalms, which we're going to go to in a little bit, and you'll see that there a significant percentage of the prayers in that book are prayers of lament, complaint, frustration, disappointment, anger even, with God aimed against God. The simple fact is that when you walk in faith and begin to enjoy the gift of prayer with God, there will come a day where it becomes hard to do it because instead of feeling joyful and thankful when you think of God, you will feel disappointed and upset. It's hard to shout amen at that thought, isn't it? But it's true. You know, when you come to the Bible and you look at the prayers there, the form that this feeling takes is principally two questions that are asked over and over by people of faith. The questions, why and how long? Why, God, am I having to face this? And how long will I have to go through this? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought because you think that you must not be a person of true faith? This morning I want you to see, no, uh, people of true faith think this all the time. Listen to these questions. Why do you hide your face from me? Why do you forget my affliction and oppression, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why do you sleep, O Lord, when I need you to come here and help? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Why do you cast us off forever? Why do you hold back your hand instead of reaching out to save us? Why have all these bad things happened to us if you're with us? Why, does the, why do the guilty always prosper while the good people lose? Why will the treacherous always thrive? Why? Every one of those is a prayer from the Bible. And then you add to that, how long? How long will you forget me? Forever? How long must I bear pain in my soul, sorrow in my heart, all day long, every day? 
How long will you hide your face from me, God? How long will you look on and do absolutely nothing? How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff, is my enemy to revile your name forever and yet win out over me? How long shall my adversaries be exalted over me? How long will I cry for help and you will not listen? If you have ever felt like that and then been tempted with the thought, the best thing for me to do is to keep that from God. Here is where I want to teach you. No, it's the opposite. Prayer, the kind that God invites you to have, is first of all a prayer that recognizes that even genuine faith will sometimes feel that it is hard to pray to God because of how you feel about him. Uh, do you have a relationship with someone where you're disappointed with your friend because they messed up? And then your strategy is to sort of bury it and pretend it's not there and not talk about it with them? Do you do that? How's your friendship with that person? Is it getting better every day? Right? When that's our strategy, and it's okay to think about prayer like this, when it's our strategy to avoid the things that disappoint us and make us angry and really frustrate us with a friend, it ruins the relationship. And here now, if you would for a moment imagine yourself with me and Ron, you should not expect that God feels really far away if you have in your own life the kind of disappointments that would make you upset and frustrated, but your strategy has been to hide it away from God, it's not a sign of weakness in faith to feel like that. It's not. That's the first lesson. Here's the second lesson, and this is also what I did with Ron. It is that there is actually an approach to praying through disappointment and anger and frustration with God. And it's all over the scriptures. This one, I don't have to invent. You can look at one of the prayers from the book of Psalms and see a pattern there, which is in many of the prayers that I'm gonna show you. And I wanna show it to you because I want you to pray. And let's be very concrete. If you're the person who this morning is just trapped in anger and frustration at God, you need to listen and consider how you might move forward wherever you are in faith, even if you only have a mustard seed side of faith. Or if you have a lot, but it's been languishing because God's not there. You need to listen this morning so you can take these steps. If that's not you, because you're doing well, you need to listen so that God can use what you learn here to help a person who's not doing well. Because I promise you, all around you, there are people who are not doing well. So let's pay attention now to this second lesson. How to approach praying when it's not good. Uh, Psalm, excuse me, Psalm 42 is going to be uh, our guide. This is one prayer in which the person who, like Ron, is trapped in frustration and anger and desperation, unlike him, decides to pray, and we're going to learn from him. Here's how the prayer begins. And we're going to find our first lesson in this opening bit. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here is a poetic depiction of desperate loneliness, a feeling of anguish and dismay, which is life-threatening because of a feeling of being all alone from God. Uh, if you grew up in, in a church, going to church when you were young like I did, this line of poetry has been completely ruined for you by the song, As the Deer Panteth for the Water. Do you know that one? 
right? When, when I sang that as a kid, I pictured Bambi and there were flowers and green grass and Bambi was like, I think I might have a drink and then wanders over. This is not what we see here. This is a man who lives in the desert and he, who, who knows what it's like to need water so badly that if you don't get it that day, you will die. And he pictures an animal that is on the verge of death because it's frantically looking for what it does not have, which is water. And when he looks at his own soul, he says, that's what my soul is like. And the reason my soul feels like that is God is as far away from me as water is in the desert from a desperate animal. If I don't get God, I'm dead. That's stark. And he directs that prayer to God. My soul longs for you, he says. So get this, God feels impossibly far away and the one he chooses to tell about his feelings is the God who feels absent. Do you see that? There's a lesson there. Let's keep going with the poetry. He goes on to say, when shall I come and behold the face of God? The question in him is, when am I finally gonna see God? Because if I don't, I'm gonna die. If only I had his face here with me. And here, some of you know this desperation. My own son is languishing in addiction. If I don't see God's face, I'm going to die. I'm so sad because of the dysfunction of this marriage that I'm trapped in. When is God going to show up? And that's what this guy's feeling. And so what he does with those feelings is he brings them to God. In verse 3, he admits what life is like. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, where is your God? This is a description of depression, clinical depression. He cannot sleep. He cannot eat. The only thing he eats is his tears because all he can do is weep. And everybody around him knows how broken he is. And that's why everybody asks the question, where's your God? And it's a question that's in his heart too. Because if God's so good, why am I facing this? If God loves me, why am I languishing in the desert? If God is good and for me, how come he's not rescued me yet? And so he says exactly what he's feeling in his prayer and this is the first step for how to pray through disappointment and frustration and anger either because you're there or someone you love is it is be honest with God in every other relationship that you have you might need to manage your own feelings when you tell that person about what's going on inside of you because you might chase them away if you're really angry but that will never ever happen with God no matter how upset you are or frustrated or disappointed, even if you're thinking you're not even there, tell him. Be honest with God and it will never, ever scare him away because his love endures forever. Even if you're the greatest person, even if you're the most miserable wretch and you can't even believe that anyone could ever bear with you, maybe that's true about every other person but not with God. And this prayer here is a pattern that tells you, tell God exactly what you're feeling. Ron was ashamed of feeling angry at God because God had done so many good things for him. Let me tell you what. Ron believed that God had done a lot for him. He didn't even know the tip of the iceberg and neither do you. No matter how much good you think God has done for you, it's even better than that. You won't finally see that until the very end. But then you'll see it and you'll think, I thought God was great. I had no idea how good he was. That's true. And at the same time, you are completely free to come to God with nothing but complaints in your heart because that's where you might be sometime. And this pattern teaches us that we are invited by God himself to grow in prayer by first of all, choosing to be completely honest with him whatever we're feeling. So nothing's out of bounds here. Maybe something's out of bounds 
if we want to make God in our own image and create a picture of God that suits our desires as a church who wants God to be like this. But if we let God be who he is in the Bible, nothing is out of bounds for you to say to him. So that's step one. That's a good step, isn't it? Here's a, here, what follows is, 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 is so practical and good. Uh, let's come back to his prayer. After uh, being honest with God, he gives us a picture of what's happening inside of him. This is verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of, and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Uh, maybe this language is archaic for you. A throng is a large group of people who are all together in celebration. A big crowd that's so happy they're shouting and dancing around. And what happens in this man's mind as he prays is he remembers how good it used to be. You see, this person writing this prayer used to lead God's people in worship. He was, or she was the, the leader of, of a prayer where all the people together were on their way to the temple and life was so good for them they couldn't do anything but sing and shout for joy. Have you ever been happy like that? If you've not been happy like that, you ever been angry at people who are happy like that? All the, All the time. Here's a man who in his prayer, please listen now, he has two pictures in his mind at the exact same time while he prays. And one of them is, is a picture of how good it used to be. And it stands right beside a picture of how horrendous it is right now. No sugarcoating this. The guy's depressed. He can't even sleep or eat. All he can do is cry. And that's a picture that's in his mind. And right beside it emerges another picture of how good it used to be. Do you ever find yourself in times when it's not good idealizing the past and remembering it? Do you? Do you ever use those memories to make yourself feel even worse? And of course, we're always free to do that. And a lot of us do it. A lot of us will have been tempted by the voice that says, remember how good it, it used to be? It will never be that good again. It's only ever downhill from here. And that really is exactly the temptation that must be there as he honestly in prayer acknowledges where he is and he thinks about how good it was. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to do something which is our next lesson for how to pray when you're disappointed and it's magnificent. In verse five, look at what he does. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. He starts talking to someone. Do you see who he's talking to? He's talking to himself. He's got these two pictures there and now he has to face this reality of the stark contrast between the two of them and then he starts talking to himself. Have you ever felt weird because you talk to yourself? Have you ever had someone say, Dude, you gotta stop talking to yourself. You gotta pull it together. Here, I'm gonna be your pastor this morning who tells you talk to yourself because that's the second lesson actually for how to deal with frustration and prayer. It's to talk to yourself and get this now not just in the way that you've automatically always been inclined to talk to yourself when things are bad. Maybe you need to not talk to yourself like that. But like this person of faith who's in this miserable place, try this. 
Put up a memory of how good it used to be beside how bad it is and then say to your soul, why are you feeling so badly? Because remember how good it was? It can be like that again. And so don't despair, have hope. And that's what he does. He asks that question of his soul and some of you need to learn to do this. Say, really, wait, hold on. Was it that good in the past or are you just looking for reasons to beat up on yourself? Don't you idealize the past sometimes to go on feeling bad? Don't do that. And then make the choice which this man makes in prayer, which is to tell yourself the truth. And this is the truth. If it was good back then, it can also be good down the road. Here, this is a, a step of faith. And, and you might not be there in faith yet, but anyone who does have faith and says, I, will, I am trying to trust Jesus, I'm gonna invite you to do this, to know that the future maybe not this week or next week, is better than you could dare dream. It just is. The promise of the scriptures is that when God comes and in Christ restores everything that was broken and brings back everything that was good and was lost in faith, that you can't even compare how bad it is now to how good it will be then. You, you can't even do it no matter how hard you try, but you can take that as an act of faith into your own voice when you pray and talk to yourself and say, soul, you don't need to be so down. You can hope in God again, not because it's not that bad right now, but no matter how how, how bad it is. And that's the second lesson that we see from him. You are all free to talk to yourself in that way. Are you there still? Okay. Now there's a third step to take and we'll see this as we continue in his prayer. In verse six, he comes back again to describing what's going on inside. My soul is cast down within me. So just in case you're Wondering, is this a guy who's Pollyanna pretending it's not as bad as, he, as it is? No, he's admitting it again. My soul is cast down. Picture the heart of a person scattered on the ground. Maybe you're there. My soul is cast down, he says. And therefore, I remember you. Here he's talking to God again. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. I hear the imagery in this poetry requires some explanation. Jordan is the land that God gave to his people which was beyond what they could even ask or imagine in terms of how good it was. Have you heard this expression, the land flowing with milk and honey? That means a land in which you have everything that you need emotionally, physically, everything you need for your mind to be ordered correctly, and everything that you need spiritually. And here the poet says, my, my soul is down, but I remember God in Jordan. I remember him in Hermon and Mizar. Those are the names of mountains. Those are the names of high places where he can remember standing and looking down on everything and thinking I could never be better than I am right now. This is my mountaintop experience. Maybe you have those memories in your mind when everything was good. He remembers God from there and then he goes on to say, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts and all your waves and your billows have gone over me. A cataract is a, a flood, a downrushing of water, crushing, pushing down millions of gallons all at once being poured out. Waves and billows are, are the sea. They're pressing down on top of him. He is now acknowledging that though he remembers the mountaintop, right now he's as if at the very bottom of the ocean, there's a, a, an endless amount of water pressing him down in the deep darkness. And here in that place, as low as anyone could ever be, he's as far as anyone could be from the mountain 
mountaintops and in both places he remembers God and at the bottom of the sea, do you notice the pronouns he uses for the cataracts and for the billows and the waves? Do you see who they belong to? They belong to God too. And here is a third step which he chooses to take as he prays through disappointment. It's to choose to believe, and this is a choice, that God doesn't only hold the mountaintop experiences in his hands, but even the depths of the ocean are in his hands too. That somehow, even though all of your life is out of your hand, it's never out of God's hands. Even the waves and billows that you wish were different that are somehow pressing you all the way to the bottom, he is choosing in this moment to trust that they also are in God's hands at the very bottom. And this is a choice. It's not because he feels like it or it seems right to his mind. It's because in his determination, in, in, in her determination, she chooses to believe that even here God is good and God is love and God has me in his hands and is in control somehow beyond comprehension. And that's why he writes what he does in verse eight. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And that means when the sun is shining and when it's the bleakest, darkest moment of any life in both places, I'm choosing to trust that God loves me. And, and from that truth will emerge a song in my heart, which is a prayer to God, even if it's a broken hallelujah. And that's all that I can muster. I will choose, and this is the third step, I will choose faith. And that is a choice. And faith here does not mean telling yourself that you believe things which you don't believe. That's not faith. It's not telling yourself you feel things which you don't feel. That's not faith either. It is being completely honest with God, having a talk with yourself, and then deciding after that talk to make a choice. And faith means trust. You don't need to trust God when everything's going great, right? You can just look at how things are going and add up the numbers and it's great. But choosing faith is saying, the ledger sheet says bad. The scales are tilted in favor of misery and depression now. And I don't know, maybe forever. But in this moment, I'm gonna choose faith. And you can choose that. And that is to say, even in the night, I'm gonna let the song that's in my heart, even if it's just a song of sobs and misery, emerge and I'm going to bring it to God who I'm going to choose to go on trusting. That's the third step. Now that that uh, gives way to the fourth. And let's look at uh, one more time at his prayer. Um, in verse 9, he's back again to honesty. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I mean, just dwell on that for a moment. He's talking to the one who forgot him. Uh, that's honesty. That's being real, but it's choosing faith to say, even though I feel like he's forgotten, I'm gonna keep talking to him. Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me. There it is, why? Uh, how long? He continues in verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say continually, where is your God? There's that question again. The one that other people are asking him because of how bleak it looks for him and the one that is there in his own heart because of what life has become. Like, God, where are you? And you can be a person of genuine faith and feel that again and again. But here's the last step. It's in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Does that sound familiar? Does it? 
If it doesn't sound familiar, you've not been listening very carefully because I read that like five minutes ago. <laughs> it's a repeat of the very same line that already showed up in his prayer, which means after saying it once, it wasn't but maybe 30 or 40 seconds where he realized he needed to say it again. And probably after this prayer is over, there'll be another moment where this person realizes I need to say it again to my soul and I need to do it again. And tomorrow, probably again. And for how long? I don't know. Weeping will linger maybe for a really long time. If someone's given you this promise that faith means as soon as you believe, everything turns up sunshine and lollipops and rainbows for you. They're a liar. It's not like that. What he's showing us here is the, the fourth step of how to pray through disappointment. And it's this, it's to keep hoping. To hope once by talking to yourself and saying to, to the soul of yours, hope in God again. And then the moment the hope gives way to despair yet again because of life, to say it again, keep hoping. To say it one more time, look, keep hoping. And that is the challenge, and it is hard to do this. This is not easy, but this is the path that is open for you because of who God has decided to be. The path in which you can come to God and be completely honest with what you're feeling, and there, with all of your honesty, have an argument with yourself to tell yourself you need to choose faith again, and then after you've chosen faith again, to go on hoping one more time. Listen, this part isn't in the prayer, but it's in my heart, and it's in my mind, and it's in my soul and spirit, because I've been, by God's grace, delivered from my own misery to tell you this. Hope in God is never misplaced hope. Never. That does not mean you get exactly what you hope for. But this is it. The God who invites you to bring everything that you're feeling to him in prayer is the one who in Christ has walked the road that is unbearable himself. If you've ever wondered about this belief that Christians have about Christ being God with us and yet at the same time dying on the cross, that's a picture of the truth that the road of disappointment and anguish and frustration and hurt is known to God because in Christ, God went down the, the road in which he experienced everything you or I will ever experience. But listen, he went to hell when he died and descended uh, after dying on the cross, but you know he didn't stay there. He rose again. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus came up from the grave, he was the firstborn among many brethren and among many sisters. And many of us will not, we won't know this from experience, but it is a hope that we're given to believe. And I want to give you this hope. It is that just as Jesus conquered death and hell because of God's power to raise him up from the dead, you and I are welcome to participate in that exact same reality at the end of our road. And when Jesus returns, every tear will be wiped away. All pain and misery, be, misery will be taken. Death will be no more. Addiction, gone. Struggle and anguish and pain and depression, all of it taken away forever. Need and hunger and hurt and sorrow will be removed. How? By God's own tender hands wiping away our tears from our eyes and from our cheeks so that forever and forever and forever there will be no more need for hope because it will all be joy received completely and totally. And that'll never end. Between now and then, what you need is to go on praying when it's hard. And you take these two lessons. Every person of faith will feel like this. And here's how to pray and keep going on the journey. Would you do that? Let's pray together. God, we need your help even now to keep going. God, for some of us who are so broken and miserable, uh, this time of considering how to pray was like 
was like first aid for wounds and we need more of it. We need you to heal us and repair us. We need to be on that path. Please do it with your power and your grace. God, for others who are doing well, this has been a lesson and we ask very simply that you'd help us carry it to others who need it. We all need you and so we ask now as we continue in worship that you'd send your spirit and build us up in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.